Jonathan Gonzalez, that saga of missing out on a young, talented player who played youth soccer for the United States, went on to play and plays now for the Mexican men's national team, brought up many questions of diversity. Where are we falling short in this country when it comes to tapping into different markets? It seems to be the rich kids sport still in this country, Rishi. I think the, the pay-to-play system, you know, it's, again, it's, you're always going to have to pay. So that's not, it, calling it pay-to-play sends people off on the wrong tangents and it allows people to defend the system in an improper way. The problem is it's too expensive to move up and for the talent necessarily to keep growing with the system. We have a very fractured youth landscape with a lot of different business interests at the bottom uh, that are just self-interested. And it's not necessarily about giving kids a chance to move and the right talent a chance to move. That's one side of it, pay to play. But the other side is you know, getting these uh, leagues and the, getting the grassroots involved in places that are outside the federation where it currently is. Uh, getting more people involved in the game. And, and that's a bigger challenge that we need to address, making sure that people come in. And there's a lot of things that come in to play in there. I mean, we have a lot of Latino leagues in this country, and the Aspen Sports Institute just came out with a, a report on this, that there's a lot of Latino leagues that don't affiliate with U.S. soccer yeah. uh, because of fears from government of registering. And they don't, you know, they're... That's they're, shocking, they're, isn't it? We have a lot of challenges in this country from, you know, just overarching uh, citizen, citizenry problems that we need to make sure that we're keeping the right people involved and increasing access. And we can't let things uh, like improper fears of deportation, which should never be, there should never be an improper fear of deportation, and keeping people from playing the game. This is an inclusive game. We all love this game. It's a game. It's the world's game. The pe people are here. They're Americans. We need to bring them into the system and try and give everybody a chance. That's the only way you have one nation, one team. And I'm incredibly green when it comes to this topic. I don't have kids involved that are, I'm not a coach myself. I don't necessarily see it on the grassroots side. But that's scary to think that there may be wonderful, young, talented players coming through, yet they're not involved in the U.S. soccer umbrella. They're being missed out because of maybe some of those fears or financial issues. Well, there's a lot of financial issues. We just did a, a show about this on Sirius XM, uh, Brian Dunseth and myself. And he was talking about even growing up, Clay Coyman, former national team coach, uh, player and captain, was his coach. And he was talking about the best kid on his team. And it had nothing to do with politics. It's the fact that he was 16, 17, and he was the breadwinner. So he couldn't afford to hop on a bus, make it over to Ontario every day and train or even to show up to some of the games. He had to quit after a short period of time. Best player that was on the team, but the real world intruded. So in my mind, again, this is where promotion relegation has a huge positive to the point where there's a Messi in Idaho somewhere we will never see because there is no Major League Soccer or, or real team out there. But if you had an, a Detroit City situation where even if they don't make it all the way up in somewhere along their success, that kid spotted and now someone else takes him up the next rung and the next rung. You have that Jamie Vardy story that's potentially out there. And, and I think that that's one of the biggest benefits and that's, again, where U.S. soccer needs to find a way to grow the game because the players are out there. And as Stephanie had talked about, though, you need the right coaching to take them to the next level because you could have a great talent, but the wrong coach and their progression is going to be stymied. Is it because there's a lack of African-American coaches or people in power, Latino as well, maybe, Hunter? Well, I... Speaking of for myself growing up in, in Dallas, Texas, which is one of the biggest hotbeds of youth soccer I, I had nothing but Latino coaches growing up. I had a, a Brazilian coach Marcio Lete at Dallas Texans uh, I had a, a Iranian coach Hassan Nazari 
Um, I had, uh, I don't think one of my coaches was actually American, to be, to be quite fair. I think my first American coach was when I got to the youth national team at under 15 with Ken Lola. So I can only speak mm -hmm. from where well, I came from. Let me from. ask you this, though. Hey, by the way, you know Billy, uh, well, we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> you talk about Dallas, and this was one of the only markets that I knew 10, 15 years ago. If you were a youth coach, grab four teams, you're flying high. You're like, you're driving in a Cadillac. I mean, that's how much money the clubs were paying just to coach four teams, not huge teams, just four age groups. Now, how do you get the kids from the Kroger fields yeah. up into Richardson and, and Frisco? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, my team specifically, I, I think it was me, it was three other American kids, and the rest were Latino. Uh, they were Hispanic, Honduras, Brazilian, you, you, you name it. And a lot of that was our coaches recruiting, mm -hmm. but also, I mean, they would come, it was almost like a carpool. Everybody how could, I, how could everyone afford to play? Well, we had, we had scholarships, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Where other, okay, if, I'm, if my parents are paying and your parents are paying, we split mm -hmm. Phil's tuition, whatever then, you want to call it. you still it, have you know? the situation though, Clint Dempsey. Landon the little kid in Nacogdoches, yeah. whose parents had to drive four or five hours to take him to practice, and they basically stuck around for the weekend and then went back. I mean, that doesn't help in this situation, just carpooling from Arlington. I mean, there, there, are, a, there are a lot of talented players out there that will never be covered under the existing system. I think it goes back to the promotion relegation piece, and one of the benefits, it's not just there, but it's, it creates a system of incentivizing investment uh, so people can identify players. You're gonna have more scouts on the ground and looking for players in a professional way uh, those players get into the system, and as Phil said, you know, at some point, that club may not be able to take that player as high as he can go, uh, or as high as she can go, because ultimately we could get to a place where we have promotion relegation also on the women's side. Uh, we need to create more clubs. We need to create a system that incentivizes that, and where the rewards are. There. By the way, that system involves paying for players. Of course. I, again, as you said, pay to play is somewhat of a misnomer. And even in England and a lot of places, if you're just playing youth soccer, you're paying. It's when you get to that cream of the crop era where the clubs step in. Not, I, not as much, Phil. Why do the, well, if you take a look at England, uh, there's a lot of pay to play until you get into the actual club system. Now, why do the clubs pay? Because they know if they produce this kid to any level, they'll make their money back and more. And I think that that's something that also needs to change. We haven't talked about the NCAA. For example, there are still in this community, in this soccer community of the United States, almost all of the parents are more focused initially on getting their kids to college. And the guy that used to be in charge of La Masia is now coaching up at the Anza in Northern California. And he said that that is a mindset in the United States and you can't blame them, but it also focuses development on the individual. This kid needs to play here and he needs to play up front so he can score the goals, so he can get the scholarship to make his life. Everywhere else around the world, it's as a team. Where are you best suited to help this team and then try and migrate up to that particular point. And again, it comes to culture and it comes to mindset. Yeah, I just can't stress it enough. If there's smaller teams in a Latino community, an African-American community that have a chance to rise from within, like you mentioned, Stephanie, get the community behind them. They get promoted to another level. The momentum builds. Mm -hmm. People start to notice those players. It just seems like such a natural progression that's successful almost everywhere else in the world, like you said, Rishi. For you, Stephanie, I know Hope Solo obviously was part of the election. Kathy Carter on the women's side as well, maybe a little bit more removed from NWSL. What was the mindset right. of the NWSL players, keeping an eye on the election at the time? 
I think for us, you know, it was good to see a strong female leader, first of all, and to also see one that had been in the NWSL, has so much experience and has played so much. Because um, I think for us as players, we feel like, you know, sometimes they don't fully understand what it's actually like to be a player and what we have to go through. Um, like what, Stephanie? Like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I think is not talked about a lot. And, you know, like one of the biggest issues is um, the semi-guaranteed contracts is really tough for us because you can get waived at almost any point during the season and it it's very tough. It happened and, to you, right? Yes. So um happened to me and I was, it was after the first game of the season and I was waived halfway through the month. So I got paid up until that day. Um, and then the, my health insurance got cut off at the end of the month. So, you know, it's very tough. And at least for female soccer players, we look at it and we say, you know, we're very thankful to have a league and we're so happy to be playing. But also I think there needs to be a lot of improvements because, you know, it's just, it's tough to survive, you know, living like that and having to live paycheck to paycheck and stuff like that. Maybe I don't know if we were going to talk about this, but uh, you take a look at what was it, Norway, where the men said we don't want to be paid more than the women. They want to go equal pay. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, what's going to happen 10 years from now when it's a new crop of men that are going, wait, look at our crowds, look at their crowds, assuming that things stay on track. It's charity unless the business model. You agree? The business model will sustain it. Yeah. Now, I think there are business models that can work. Um, you look at the WNBA, a lot of that is basically funneled uh, and feeding off of the NBA. But I think that there could be some synergy with Major League Soccer, NASL, USL, et cetera, to try and develop ties. Make it a soccer club to the point where you have a men's team, a women's team, youth teams, et cetera. Maybe that cuts some of the overhead, builds a fan base. Well, to touch on that, I think it's, at least from my perspective, having a team that was with an MLS team was huge. Um, we got to have the same facilities, the same resources, and so I think moving forward, it will be extremely helpful for NWSL teams to be able to be paired with an MLS team. Um, I'm not saying that's the only way to go. Of course, there's other options, but I think you know it will help build a bigger brand that's not just, oh, there's an MLS team here and an NWSL team here, and but one's kind of paid more attention to, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think that's huge for the NWSL moving forward. You need the headliners to get the cameras there, to get the people in the stands. You need the Mia Hams, you need the mm -hmm. Michelle Akers to get the people in there, but you also then need to have that next generation, uh, like Rose Lavelle now, who in my mind is that next generation who has the skill to go along with the physical ability. You need the headliners, but then you need something to get, keep people coming back. And I'm not quite sure if that's where women's soccer is at the moment. Maybe it's financial. Uh, a lot of times when you talk about we need more people to invest more money, but that doesn't automatically make those players better. What it means is the owners will then have money to go out and get, hopefully, mm -hmm. better players. Uh, you've been in that situation as well. Sometimes the worst thing you can be is a good player. Because if you're going to work cheap enough, you'll have a job. If you're worth the money, they'll pay you. It's being that good to very good guy in between where you end up getting cut out. We're going to go around the table here. It's still early in the year as we approach March. Your wish for 2018 in the soccer world. We'll start with you, Stephanie, first. Had to start with me, huh? I think for me, obviously, I look more into the women's game, and I think... I would love to see the women's game progress and for us to have more resources and 
For it to feel more professional than it feels right now. Um, I think it's tough because the NWSL has come very far since the very beginning. Um, the first season was rough, but I think we're making progress, which is great, but I still think it has a long way to go. Um, and just for U.S. soccer in general, I think I would love to see more investment in younger players and in true development of players so that we can eventually have a better product on the field. Well said. Rishi. Uh, well, first, it's to see the NASL come back on the field in 2019. Amen. So it's not about 2018 for me. Uh, but I would love to see the leadership of this federation listen to what happened at that election and what led up to that election, which is engage the membership, engage this wonderful country, and get people pulling so we truly have one nation, one team, and that we're actually making progress. I think that's what's missing right now. Okay. On to frame. Ah. I mean, I think a couple things. First, I think, uh, as, as Steph said, to, to invest in our youth. And, and by that, I think it also means not only developing these programs, but getting some of our best coaches, coaching players at ages where their development is key. That developmental period is not when they're 15, 16 years old. I think it's from U8 to U... 13, U14, those are the vital ages of kids learning soccer, getting touches on the ball. It's not so much about tactics. I see it now with my kids, and they're five and six, you know, and, and they're being taught tactics. Tactics for a five and six-year-old, where to be on the field. I get we need to have the structure, but it it's, takes the fun out of it for them. And then I think the second thing is obviously us getting the World Cup. I think that's huge because I was a kid, I was 10, 12 years old, I went to the 94 World Cup. Fortunately, I don't know how my father did it, now thinking to it, but I attended every single game at the Cotton Bowl. Amazing games. And I remember just the, the atmosphere, the feeling you went into the game. And, and that was before MLS, so you didn't have any professional game to go to. I, actually, the professional games I went to were Dallas Sidekick games, mm -hmm. which at the time were pretty amazing. But I think that is going to just catapult the, the trend of soccer even more so here in the United States. Okay, well said. Phil Shane. It's strange, but I'm kind of, and I don't mean to put the pressure on him, but they say pressure makes the man. And I'm really hoping that Carlos Cordero handles the pressure and becomes the man that is needed to take soccer to the next level. Um, the reason he got elected in my mind, take a look at the electorate, who are they? They're administrators. They're people that are in charge of these individual leagues and groups. They wanted someone that was competent. He has proven in his outside soccer life and his inside soccer life to be competent. But while it's important to keep your feet on the ground, we also have that moment, that moonshot moment. You have to have your head in the clouds a little bit. You have to dream. You have to say, you know what, 10 years from now, we're going to have promotion relegation started. Or if not, we're going to be on that track. We're going to get this World Cup, regardless of what the world thinks about us at the moment, because they know we can put on the best show they've ever had. We're going to get the best general managers that are going to be in charge of making sure that NWSL doesn't follow the path of WUSA, that Major League Soccer is going to be forced to open its doors. Youth development is out there. It all comes down to him. Now, I think he's been very politically savvy in the fact that saying it's not just me, based upon what's happened the last 10 years or so. 
I'm going to be willing to listen here or there, but someone needs to be able to make a decision. And I hope he's the man, and I hope he makes the right decisions. For me, I think I would love to see the fighting stop. I would like to see people removed from the courtrooms and be put in a room where you can actually discuss something and have a dialogue and say, what is the best thing for U.S. soccer? And if I speak to you and you tell me that you can't, say, have a, an open dialogue with the president of U.S. soccer or with someone else, that's a shame. That is a shambles, and that should not be the case in 2018. And I'd like to think that the growth of the game as a whole would be the most important thing, from grassroots all the way up through professionals, uh, someone coming, you know, not close to the end of your career, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, but you're there and you see that now, you know, and, I, and I, I don't like to see the situation you're in or to hear about some of the situations in NWSL, which has been enlightening listening to both of you talk about that. So for me, it's the egos get out of there, need to be removed and, and have an open dialogue, an open conversation to improve the game in this country on so many different levels, from diversity to pay for play, if you want to throw out those buzzwords, but the affordability of the game in this country, it's just something that I, I really hope that Carlos Cordero will do the right things and open up his office door and invite people in and have proper conversations to improve the game. That's all we have time for here in our BN Sports studios. Thank you so much to you, Rishi, to you, Stephanie, Hunter, and Phil Shane, as always. Thank you.